This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Ready to dive into God's Word with us? Join our next online Bible study. Throughout the year, we'll dive into LifeWay Women's Studies that cover a variety of topics and hear from several different amazing Bible teachers. For each study, you can access the teaching videos for a limited time, comment and interact with others walking through the study, and track your progress. See what we're studying next at LifeWayWomen.com forward slash OBS. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Let's tell our audience a little bit about what's happening this summer. I know. It is so exciting. So we have been, for the past few summers, we have been blessed and able to release to y'all the audio teaching from some of our Bible studies. And we are so excited because this summer we are bringing to you, to your ears, the audio sessions of How Much More, a Bible study by Lisa Harper. And so tell us a little bit more about how this is all going to work, Kelly. Absolutely. So on Mondays, we'll release one new audio teaching session each week. And we're going to leave all of the episodes up until the end of August, so August 31st. So if you get a couple weeks behind or maybe you're on vacation, we want to make sure that you're able to catch up and do that. So what we want you to do is we want you to go to lifeway.com slash how much more, and we really want you to purchase the Bible study book because it's going to help you really learn more than just listening to the audio, but work alongside of it with the study book. And that link is going to be in the show notes as well. And we just know that y'all are going to be so blessed by this study. And so we're excited to get to bring it to you. So here is Lisa Harper. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the fifth week of how much more can you believe we've gotten this far i'm like goodness gracious we've done grapes we've done gazelles we've done laps it's been incredible and i want to tell y'all i just i i can't imagine doing bible study without y'all you know how jesus says in john's gospel that the way the world will see that we love him is the way we love each other one of my favorite uh, theologians, Anglican theologians, a guy named Leslie Newbegin, he says that the most effective hermeneutic of the gospel, you know, that's just a fancy word that means how we understand and apply God's word, is community. That it's through the lens of each other that we actually see Jesus more clearly. And speaking of hermeneutics, I want to re- reiterate something I told you on the first night. And that is that God's word is the only perfect word. And so I want to just remind you again, I I have studied hard. I lied to you all the first night and said I studied my rear end off, but it's alive and well. (laughs) I've studied hard, but I know there will be flaws in the way I'm understanding and applying applying God's word. When he reveals it to me, I'll tell y'all. But it's just incumbent upon all of us to recognize that there is no perfect, flawless teacher or pastor or preacher. We've got to take everything we hear back to the authority of God's Word. So I I just wanted to 
kind of remind you of that. Y'all feel like family at this point, so I want to be real honest. I've told you about Spanx rolls and everything else. And so I, I want to start on a, a real um, kind of a sensitive note tonight. This um, is the most personal of the messages for me and how much more. Um, and I'll start by telling you the reason I started a doctoral candidacy a couple of years ago. I decided to go back to school in my 50s, even though I've got a really full life, for three, three reasons. The first reason is I'm an old mama. Um, Y'all were so sweet to Missy um, last night. I just can't thank you enough for being so gracious to her. But Missy's 11, I'm 57. And so I feel really passionately about her seeing me excited. I don't want her to see me coast in the second half of my life. Y'all, I want my latter days to be better than my former. I'm excited about my future. I want to be like Caleb. I want to be 82 years old and running hard toward Jesus. Faster at 82 than I did at 32, whether I'm in Spanx or not. I just want to keep running harder and harder. And those of y'all who are younger than me, most of y'all, I can tell y'all as a 57-year-old woman, it's better now. It just keeps getting better. Life with Jesus just keeps getting better. Anyway, the, the first reason I went back to school was my little girl. I want her to see me as a lifelong learner. The second reason is I want to know Jesus more. I love Jesus. He is my one true love. He is, he is my one, one and only. I love Jesus. And I believe that the, the two main ways to actually engage with Jesus are through the Holy Spirit and through God's Word. And so I want to always be studying God's Word. That's the second reason I went back to school. And then the third reason is my mama. Her name is Patricia Brown Angel. She is 83 years old. She's beautiful and godly and kind. She's beginning to lose her short-term memory. And my goal is to do my dissertation in time for mama to know it. And uh, the reason being is my mom was really marginalized when it came to education. When she was a young woman, her parents told her, even though she had made straight A's in high school, that they couldn't afford to send her to college. It was after the, in the aftermath of World War II and the Depression, and they just didn't have the money, and so they said they were gonna send her brothers to college, neither of whom finished, but they couldn't afford to send her. And then when she married my daddy, he poo-pooed her desire to go to school as a young woman. And then when she married my stepfather, he did the same thing. And so I watched my mom's dreams get smaller and smaller and smaller. And she's a beautiful servant. She's an amazing woman. I will do well if I am half the woman my mother is. But she just wasn't affirmed much. And the apple didn't fall that far from the tree. When I was 16 years old, over a dinner, my stepfather, who was not a bad man, but he definitely was of the opinion that women were less than men. And he told me that he wouldn't invest one dime in my college education. He said that women typically just went to college to meet a man and then they got married and they never used their degree. So he said, I was not a good investment. And um, my dad was a principal in the school system. He was a superintendent at one point of schools in Central Florida, but he didn't think I deserved to be educated 
past high school, and somehow that feeling of being less than, it was driven really deep into the grooves of my heart. Uh, by the grace of God, I earned an athletic scholarship to college, which is how I went to school. And then right after undergrad, I started working for a vocational ministry. And one of my first bosses in ministry told me that the Bible made it very clear that God loved men more than women, that women were the lesser of, women were the lesser of men. Um, and he said he was gonna pay me exactly half of what he paid my less experienced male counterparts because he said God would be displeased with him otherwise. He said, if I had a problem with that disparity in pay, then I didn't have a gentle and submissive spirit. Um, he was not a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He totally misinterpreted huge swaths of scripture. But by that point in my life, I thought maybe he's right. Maybe God does love me less because of my chromosomes and I just need to dumb myself down in order to please God. And I can tell you at this point as a 57 year old woman that I have just been undone by the kindness of God because he didn't let me stay small. Gently and patiently and consistently, he has proven to me that he doesn't love me less He's proven to me that he made me strong and soft for a reason. And so I really want, uh, I really want this session especially to minister to those of you who've been marginalized, um, maybe by really well-intentioned men. I haven't been under men who tried to make me feel small. They actually thought they were doing God's will to keep me in check. And so I don't want to in any way uh, make this sound anti-male. I love the brothers God has woven into my life. But I wanna encourage those of you women who've been made to feel less than, that's not biblically defensible. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter eight, beautiful passage that oftentimes is kinda skipped over in Luke's gospel because it's not one of the healing stories. No paralytic does cartwheels here. It just sounds like it's an introductory, uh, kind of, you know, not that important, and it's hugely important. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards, he, Luke is talking about Jesus there, went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Y'all, if we could get socio-historical context, I mean really get it for what was going on here in Luke, this is crazy town. This is counter-cultural because at this point in, in history, women were absolutely marginalized culturally, especially in Jewish history. In Jewish history, one of the common rabbinic proverbs is this, it's better that the Torah, that's the Old Testament, what we would commonly call the Old Testament, it's better that the Torah be burned than it should be taught to a woman. Even more disheartening, the last line of a common prayer 
that had to be prayed three times a day by young men who were studying to be rabbis. This is a, a line, it's the last line of a prayer. They prayed three times a day. Praised be thou, O Lord, who did not make me a woman. Now Josephus, we've already talked about Josephus and he's my jam. I love Josephus. He was a first century historian, a contemporary of Christ. But he says this, because most guys said this during the first century. The woman says the law in all things, is in all things, inferior to man. One of my favorite modern scholars when it comes to the way women were perceived in first century Jewish culture when Luke was written, Greco-Roman, the greater culture. His name is Dr. David Scholler, and he says this. In very general terms, Jesus lived in social cultural context in which the male view of women was usually negative and the place of women was understood to be limited for the most part to the domestic roles of wife and mama. And I'll tell you right now, besides being a daughter of Jesus Christ, a daughter of God, mama is my favorite role. But it's interesting that people think you can't do other things and be a good mama. And I think sometimes that myth is perpetrated in Christian culture. And I want to do some myth busting tonight. When Jesus added three women to that motley crew of disciples, he had 12 men. And then he added Susanna, Joanna, and Mary from Magdala. We tend to think her name is Magdalene. Yeah, everybody calls her Mary Magdalene. That's not her last name. She's called Mary Magdalene because she's from Magdala, which was this little fishing village. And there was a tower in the village and that's what Magdala means. It means tower. So she's from kind of this two-bit town. And Luke tells us that she had been healed from seven demons. And we talked about her earlier on in the study, how seven that suggests the number of completion in biblical literature. So what Dr. Luke is telling us is Mary from Magdala is completely oppressed by demons. So you've got three chicks and one of them is not even very impressive in her resume, very, very marginalized in culture. He says Susanna provided for him, Susanna and her wealthy girlfriends. So they pulled their German cars up to everywhere Jesus taught and they actually subsidized his ministry for three years. The majority of his income came from women. You can study that in other non-canonical resources. I just love that, that women are the ones that carry Jesus' ministry financially. And then you've got Joanna, and we've got this really cool hint about her job because she's the wife of Chusa. And it says, Chusa is the, the right-hand man of Herod Antipas. Do y'all remember who Herod Antipas was? I'll give you a hint. His daddy is Herod the Great, the nut job who tried to kill Jesus. Do you remember who Herod Antipas is? Y'all can talk back. <laughs> remember, he's the one who had John the Baptist killed. Remember how he got really messed up, had this Jerry Springer love life, you know, got with the bad girl who's married to like his half-brother. I mean, it was a, a mess, soap opera of a mess. He was a megalomaniac, killed John the Baptist, had him beheaded. Joanna, who's in Jesus' inner circle, is married to Herod Antipas, COO. Can you imagine their pillow talk? Do you ever wonder who was making up his itinerary? Because Joanna's sleeping with Chusa. She knows everywhere Herod Antipas is gonna be. She's not cross-stitching and baking casseroles, y'all. <laughs> 
She is the head of Jesus' security detail. I mean, she is a boss. This is amazing. And then you've got Mary, who's been so marginalized. And Jesus says, I'll choose the girl that didn't have anybody to sit with at Magdala High School. I'll choose the girl who didn't make the cheerleading team. I'll choose the girl that nobody wanted their sons to ask her to prom, that pinnacle of adolescence. Don't you know she stayed home on prom night? I'll choose her. This young woman who is so marginalized in Magdala, I'll choose her to be the very first witness to the, to the resurrection, to when I come up out of the grave. She's the first one who's going to see me. So when Mary from Magdala, who was the lowest person on the social totem pole, I mean, nobody gave her the time of day. When Mary from Magdala met Jesus from Nazareth, I mean, miracles happened. She was not only healed, she was undone. She followed him everywhere he went, all the way up Golgotha. And then she's the one, not the 12 men. Mary's the one who went to the tomb. Mary's the one who went, could you please tell him? Tell me where you put my Savior. Remember Jesus, whom she thought was a gardener, said, Mary, it's me. Do you remember when she went back and she told the disciples, do you remember we're told in Luke's gospel in chapter 24 and in Mark's gospel that they didn't believe her? And that makes sense because women in the first century weren't even allowed to testify in court because our witness was considered not credible. Women were considered histrionic. Now, our God is sovereign, y'all. Our God put the stripes on zebras. He put the nucleus in cells. He is a sovereign God. You'd better bet every single minute detail of Easter was planned. Can you just imagine our Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit saying, who are we gonna choose for the most important job in human history? to be the first witness of the resurrection. Let's choose Mary from Magdala. Isn't that cool? The way God just turns culture on its head. He loves his daughters, y'all. He loves his daughters. When this is used to marginalized women, it's not used correctly. God does not marginalize his daughters. Head to the right to Romans chapter 16. Paul all too often is typecast as a misogynist and it's lazy people who are not studying his whole life. Because if you really study what Paul wrote, and he wrote so much of the New Testament, Paul loved women. Paul was a great, great advocate of women in leadership. Romans chapter 16 Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. That word there in the Greek is diakonos. She's a deacon. I commend to you our servant Phoebe. She's from Kincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. The, the word there for Priscilla is synergos. 
It's co-worker. It's a word Paul only uses to describe people who worked very closely with him in church ministry. So she's a leader. He says, he says, greet them. They risked their necks for my life to whom to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetos, who was their first convert to Christ in Asia. So she's an evangelist and she's a leader. Head backwards to the book of Acts. I'll give you one other little treat about Priscilla. This is one of the reasons every time I see Priscilla Shire, I just want to hug her. I love that Miss Lois and Dr. Tony named her Priscilla just believing that that woman was going to be a leader. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God. More accurately. In other words, they discipled him. Now, if you study the rest of the early church movement, you'll find that Apollos became almost like the second version of John the Baptist. Fiery, really effective leader in the early church, discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. And what's so interesting is that in, in first century literature, rarely is the woman's name listed first. And that's why a lot of New Testament scholars, conservative New Testament scholars, I tell crazy stories, but y'all need to know, I believe every word of this supernatural book is true. I love the Bible. I don't cut and paste. I believe it is completely true. So the scholars I love and the scholars that I'm learning from are very conservative scholars who say this is authoritative. From cover to cover, it's authoritative. But they say, let's actually study it. Let's dig in. Let's not say the Bible's saying something that it's not actually saying. And they say in first century literature, when a woman's name rarely is listed in front of her husband, it usually means she's the more prominent of the couple. So I can't prove it for sure, but I think, isn't it interesting if Prissy was a little more powerful than Aquila? <laughs> she is a leader. We can at least say for sure she was Synergos. She was a co-worker with Paul. She's not in a back room baking casseroles. I'm not trying to be offensive for those of y'all who love to cook. But that's not all God has brought you to the table for. He has more for us to do. And I think really the most interesting character of this trifecta in Romans chapter 16, I love that there's three in Luke 8 and there's these three in Romans 16. And, and the most interesting of these heavyweights, we find her in verse 7. Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Junia is a female name in Greek. Junius is a male name in Greek. Several, goodness, I think it was in the 40s, some well-intentioned scholar was translating the epistle of Romans, and he decided, you know, I don't think women should be in leadership. 
And so I'm going to add an S because surely Paul meant Junius. Surely he meant these two apostles were dudes. Do you know recent scholarship and exhaustive study of the original manuscript says, no, Paul didn't put an S on that. It was Andronicus and Junia. It was a girl. It was a girl up in that leadership house. Don't you love that? Don't you love that God doesn't marginalize us? Now, y'all, there's some other texts, specifically Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Peter 3 that are very nuanced, very complex regarding women in leadership. And that's where you get all the doctrinal differences, especially regarding women in ecclesiastical or church leadership. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not smart enough to go down that road. And I never, ever, ever want to bring division to the house of God. But what we can agree on is that God never intended his promises to be used as a club. He never intended this text to be misogynistic. And if you bring misogyny to hermeneutics, to understanding and applying scripture you didn't get the heart of God because the heart of God is never that his daughter should dumb ourselves down to fit into this Christian club. That's not true. That's never been his will. Not from the very beginning. Jesus said, I'll choose three. When culture said they can't study the Bible, better that the Bible be burned. He said, I'll take three and I'll take one that nobody is given the time of day and I'll actually appear to her when I come up out of the tomb. Don't you love the kindness of God? He tells us in Psalm 84:11 that no good thing will he withhold from him whose walk is upright. Sometimes I paraphrase that and say, or from her who often stumbles. In other words, our God is so kind, he won't let us miss it. No matter what your backstory is, no matter what your daddy was like, no matter what men in leadership have been like to you, God won't let you miss it. If you keep in step with the Spirit and you keep your heart in this love letter, you will find there's destiny for me. I don't have to make my prayers smaller because I'm a woman. When I was a little girl, I had to wear leg braces. Speaking of needing to be liberated, I've always been a titch claustrophobic, and I think it's because of those two years I spent in leg braces. I had really, really bowed legs when I was a little girl. And um, that's why I justify wearing tight jeans. It's medical, it's a medical reason. Um, it's actually because of chips and queso, but we're gonna call it medical. But I had to wear leg braces, and I had a big, wide leather strap around my waist, and then there were steel bars all the way down the outside of my leg. And then there was a U piece of metal under my foot. And then a steel bar that came up the inside of my leg. Y'all probably remember Forrest Gump's leg races. I remember when um, Jenny said, run, Forrest, run. Y'all remember that? He's starting to run away from the bullies. And as soon as he starts to run away from the bullies, you remember those leg braces miraculously fell off. Those were the exact same braces. I wore all through kindergarten and all through the first grade. And I hated those leg braces. I felt like they made me look as broken on the outside as I felt on the inside. 
I also hated not being able to move, not being able to run, not being able to jump. I hated that every day at recess, I had to sit on the side of the kickball field like the tin man. Somebody had to help me sit down because they wouldn't bend. And I had to sit on the side of the kickball field and Charlene Stallworth, she would kick home runs every single time that she was up. And I used to just watch her every day for almost two years. And toward the end of spring, when I was in the first grade, we went to yet another orthopedist appointment and he took yet another set of x-rays and he said, Patty, your baby's girl's legs are starting to go straight. He said she didn't have to wear those, those braces anymore during the day. She used to wear them at night, but not during the day. And I can still remember going to school the next day without braces. I, mean, I remember being so excited about recess because I thought, I'm going to play kickball. I haven't played kickball in two years. I can't wait. And I was fidgety when they called us out to the field. I was just a teeny bit disappointed that I was picked dead last. Of course, the other kids thought, you know, she's been in those braces for two years. She's going to be a cruddy kickball player. It made, made sense. Um, I can still remember the pitcher, Ricky Williams, for the other team. <laughs> And he had one of those big red rubber balls. Remember those balls from elementary school? This big red rubber ball. I was standing behind home plate and he rolled that ball. And it was like it was in slow motion. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger as it wobbled toward me. And I ran as fast as I could and I just booted the ball because all the outfielders had moved in. I mean, I just kicked that sucker way over their heads. And I went flying around the bases so fast, y'all, I almost mowed down the kid in front of me. I was like, yes, score. I sat on the sidelines for almost two years when I was a little girl, hobbled by those braces. But y'all, I sat on the sidelines for decades with a hobbled heart, assuming that a holy God thought less of me because I'm a woman, it's not in there. It is not in there. God has breathed your gender into being. You are precious to him. You're not less than. You are not a mistake. He has knit you with the most beautiful softness paired with this formidable strength. And he uses both of those to share the living hope of Jesus Christ with the world around us. I wanna encourage you to dream bigger. I wanna encourage you if a man has spoken death over you and used God's word in order to justify it, forgive him, yes. don't be bitter. There's a huge difference between being empowered by the liberating truth of God's word and being enraged and leading from a wound. And that's what so many of the women in our world are doing right now. Breaks my heart to see how many young women are leaving Bible-believing churches and culture because they think, I can't be all that I am and be under the authority of God's Word. And I wanna go, oh, baby girl, you can be more than you ever thought you were. He loves you. He's called you. He's knit you. If you have a few stinkers in your life who are trying to tell you you're less than because of your chromosomes, pray for them. Be kind 
to them. Don't sow division, especially in the house of God. Don't be putting trash on Twitter. That doesn't help anybody. You pray for them, and then you stand up straight, and you say, God, I'm going to believe your word more than theirs, and I'm going to run wherever you tell me to run, and I'm going to bring all of my gifts to the table. Jesus, 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 Lord, we confess as your daughters, we can't even understand your word apart from your spirit. Thank you that when you ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, our creator, redeemer, you did not leave us as orphans. Regardless of our family of origin, you didn't leave us as orphans. You gave us this love letter called the Bible where on page after page after page, you tell us that we're valuable. On page after page after page, we see you restoring the inherent dignity and value you've given your sons and your daughters. So Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we would begin to believe bigger, that we're worthy because of your goodness, that we're worthy because of your grace, that you have called us to be ministers of the new covenant. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit who comforts us where we need to be held and convicts us where we need to be softer. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.